another week has almost gone by. It's time for the Week in Review podcast. My name is Michael Crutcher and Jordan McDonald tells me this is podcast number 49 for the Week in Review, Jordan. It is podcast number 49. We're one off the, the half century. I'm big on milestones, so I have been keeping <laughs> up to date with it all. <laughs> very well kept up. Yes. 49, that's gone very quickly. Hasn't it? Much like this week and a few topics to talk about. We're going to talk about it, more topics than normal, but we'll mm. move through a few of those with a bit of speed, but it's good to revisit and yes. summarise some of them. Yes. One we've spoken about, Jordan, which we'll lead off with on this 49th podcast <laughs> is the anti-siphoning list, yes. which is a quaint name for mm-hmm. something that's been around for decades and decades, but it just seems to take on new life as technology changes. So the anti-siphoning list is, of course, the list that is legislated by mm. the federal government of sporting events that must be offered to free-to-air television first to ensure that as many Australians as possible have access to watch those. So this is a controversial list uh, in the age of uh, varied technologies. But the reason that we're talking about it this week is there's continued media coverage and discussion about possible changes to the anti-siphoning list which would move the streaming services which we've come to know so well from the rogue outlier territory because the legislation doesn't (coughs) consider them at all. So they uh, have people worried that they could uh, do what they want in terms of buying sports rights and given as though some of them have plenty of cash, yes, it's worth talking about. So that's why we're mentioning this uh, anti-siphoning list this week and there'll be um, discussion about changes uh, by the end of this year. So first of all, Jordan, let's go back and revisit what is on the Australian anti-siphoning list because it's, uh, it's worth taking a very quick run through to know which events are considered big enough by the federal government to be offered to free-to-air television first before anyone else can get their hands on them uh, in terms of uh, bidding for their contract rights. Mm-hmm. Yep, so we've got all the Olympic Games, all the Commonwealth Games, you've got each running of the Melbourne Cup, every AFL game, every NRL game, which obviously includes the State of Origin and the international test matches and the World Cup. For Rugby Union, you've got any international test match involving the Australian team, any World Cup match with the Australian team and, of course, the Rugby World Cup final. Which Australia doesn't figure in normally. Not always, no. <laughs> uh, for cricket, it's every game that the Australian team plays in, which includes any Ashes games overseas in England there. And you've also got each match of the World T20 Tournament and the final of the T20 if the game is played in Australia or New Zealand. Uh, for soccer, you've got all the FIFA World Cup games that involve the Australian team, the final of the FIFA World Cup, and each FIFA qualifying tournament game played in Australia or featuring the Australian team. Tennis, you've got every Australian Open game, each match of the Davis Cup World uh, Group Tennis Tournament that involves an Australian representative team or is played in Australia. Wow, there's uh, one I didn't expect, but there yes, you go. Protected. Yes. And you also got the final of the Davis Cup World Group Tennis Tournament if the final involves an Australian. Uh, for netball, you've got a semi-final of the Netball World Cup if the Australian team features. And you've also got the final of the Netball World Cup if, again, Australia is involved. 
Uh, and for motorsports, you've got every F1 race held in Australia, every MotoGP held in Australia, and every Bathurst 1000 race in the V8 Supercars Championships. Okay, so that was last Sunday for Bathurst. Yes. So that's the full list. So that gives you a rundown of those sports that do have protection under the anti-siphoning list. Mm. And that's been cleaned up over the years a bit, although it's been cleaned up... Um, always behind schedule um the basketball was removed from it the nbl but the nbl is uh having a uh, resurgence after um many years of uh of building the the brand again uh the davis cup goodness me how does that get on there uh for tennis um you know races like the moto gp held in australia um I mean, they sleep under the radar, but... They do. But we're going to hear more about this. And if you're reading about this or seeing stories on it, you've also got to remember that you're actually seeing those stories from media outlets that have skin in the game. Mm. And that's the whole thing that is that is tough to get through when we're talking about which sports should Australians see and not see because in the end, one of the thir- first things you're taught when you're a journalist, it should be, is follow the money. Yeah. Because the, the, the money's the answer to most of your questions when it comes to why... Uh, people doing different things in media. Um, look, for me, the anti-siphoning list is a, is a protection racket. Yep. Um, it's protectionism by the government in an area that, you know, protectionism went out the window for uh, in lieu of free trade many years ago in most sectors. We still have it here. Now, I get and I support fully that some sports should be uh, offered to free-to-air first. I mm-hmm. mean, the Melbourne Cup, yep. your NRL Grand Final, State of Origin matches, AFL Grand Final, all of these things, mm-hmm. I get that they should be offered yep. um, first of all. So because we don't want to have a situation where you've got to pay uh, money um, to see things which are a talking point and part of Australian mm-hmm. history. I, I get all that. Yep. I don't really support, though, this wider situation, and that's where I, uh, you know... Every AFL game, for instance, is on this list here. Every NRL game. Now, um, I, I look at this because the USA doesn't have this anti-siphoning list. Yep. Uh, it was deemed unconstitutional decades ago. Um, so we do have it here. And that's a good thing we've got it here. But where this goes in the next few months, it's always so hard from my viewpoint for governments to break away from trying to upset the big media companies. Yep. It's not good business if you're a politician and you're upsetting the big media companies. So do we really have an honest debate in Australia about the anti-siphoning list? Because the debate is carried out by media and is carried out by politicians mm-hmm. and they all have skin in the game. Yep. They do. They, they all... It's not really about what should the Australian person see. It's about, you know, it's tainted by vested interests. And, you know, you, you'll have media companies say, oh, no, 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 we're, we don't have a vested interest in this, but they do. I'm sorry. So I guess from my viewpoint, um, that's the hard part about this discussion and where it's going to go in the coming uh, weeks and months because we're still where we were a long time ago. And that is that we have a situation where a good, honest, proper debate doesn't happen because it's incapable of being held given the environment we're in. Yep, I agree. Um, but I reckon, in my, my, my opinion on this is that it doesn't really solve the larger problem that TV will be facing, and it's the, that's the declining use. If anything, this is a pretty clear sign of desperation. You know, TV is sort of clinging on to sport for survival. I mean, streaming will only grow in the years to come, and there's only so much sports rights can subsidise. You know, we know the value of sports to TV, very clear. You know, the AFL rights, for example, $4.5 billion is just enormous. But I'll bet 
the network up there is letting out a sigh of relief. Now the next seven years they haven't got to contend with the streaming platforms. Um, and, you know, that depends on what will happen. You know, in seven years' time, streaming will knock on the door again, but that all depends on what will happen with the, the anti-siphoning list That's here. right. It's, it's the protectionism that uh, we farewelled long ago. That's it. So, yeah, as you mentioned, the sports in the US is spread across so many of those different platforms, and often the viewing experience is better for the viewer. So, <coughs> excuse me, Australians are changing how they watch sport. It'll be interesting to see what changes come out of this review. Yeah, and from the early rhetoric we're hearing from uh, governments at the moment, we're not going to see a whole lot of change as such uh, in this time. But look, we'll keep looking at it because I think it's a really important topic to discuss. Yep. And just remember, if you're consuming stories about it, keep your uh, clear hat on just to work out uh, where it's coming from and uh, whether you might be uh, needing to you know, keep an open mind yourself on it because it's important. <laughs> Another topic we've discussed many times on this podcast in our previous uh, 48 episodes before today yes. is ad-supported streaming. And now we've got an update on what's going to happen with a Netflix ad-supported version in Australia. Yep, so we have spoken about it and now it's happening. Australia is one of 12 countries that will be offered an ad-based budget version of Netflix from next month. The basic with ads plan will be available on November 4th in Australia and that's at a price of $6.99 per month, which is only $4 cheaper than the cheapest premium option. So users on the ads plan will see up to five minutes of ads per hour. And so for your TV series, you'll have interruptions throughout the episode. So up to five minutes per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but for new releases, the ads will show at the start because they want to preserve that cinematic experience. So well, what sort of ads will you see? Because they haven't done it before. So what, what do they show you? Uh, at the start, the ads will be shown according to the country and genre of what you're watching. But over time, this will shift to become more personalised and targeted based on your age and location. And you'll be pleased to know that political ads are unwelcome as part of the offering. Oh, really? Yeah, so my thoughts on this, it's a bit more expensive than what I would have thought it might be, but it's annoyingly close to that lowest premium to uh, that lowest premium tier as well. And I reckon that will entice a couple of those users over, provide the content is there for them. Yeah. The big issue for platforms like Netflix is that content churn. And, you know, the audiences burn through that content really quickly or when they sign up, they sign up for a particular series. Yeah. So, you know, personally for $4 extra, I'm just going to go the uh, the ad-free version. Yeah, I must say I, I thought there might have been just a bit of difference there. Maybe there'd be um, more ads or, or – oh, sorry, uh, the five minutes of ads is, is a fair bit. Mm. So maybe there'd be another <coughs> point of difference just away from the money. But it's interesting on the personalised ads because, um, I mean, our family, we've got – Personal, you know, personalized accounts, but everyone yeah. watches it through my account, right? So, according to Netflix, I must be yeah, a very you're a hybrid confused. Consumer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone else has their uh, little emojis, but they just don't use it. So mm. it's all my account. So, mm. uh, yeah, the suggestions I get from yeah, Netflix, you'd have so you've had a fair mix. Yeah, they're, they're quite they're quite bizarre. Yeah. So um, I'm in, interested in what younger people think about this because. You know, they drive so much of this. They're used to seeing ads on YouTube yep. at the start of, um, of, of uh, videos. It seems like those ads are growing to me, but I could be wrong on that. So I'm interested in what younger people are doing here, people in their teens and beyond. What is that um, 
presentation like for them. So yeah. let, let's see how that goes. Mm. Now, um, our latest quarter is over. We look at the Facebook um, content through top publishers and top stories. We always do that on this. So the uh, Facebook quarter three results are in for 2022. So what have people been looking at on Facebook? The top publishers remain mostly the same uh, from the last quarter. Daily Mail, again, takes top spot with 109 million engagements through Facebook, the only publisher to receive more than 100 million engagements. A lot of people like to knock Daily Mail, um, say what you like about Daily Mail, but they do um, their thing very well. They do. They, really they do. don't purport to be anything more in terms of a traffic getter and they just seek traffic and they seek traffic better, especially in Australia, mm. than uh, their rivals in Australia uh, in terms of trying to get that uh, those links. No subscriptions there. Uh, We've mentioned Nigeria's legit, which uh, before in these uh, rankings, yep. they're second again with 80 million engagements. Um, then NBC, it's, it's umbrella, um, 73 million engagements. Uh, no other publishers manage more than 60 million, including the Mirror UK, Fox News, BBC UK, CNN, The Sun, New York Times. So there's, again, your top ones uh, there. Now, the top stories... Jordan, no surprise, top story for this quarter. Yep, the Queen's death. Yep. So you, uh, the top story uh, by considerable distance was the BBC's article announcing the Queen's death. That article was the only one that got anywhere near one million engagements. Um, politics made up a good chunk of the top ten articles with economic stories and articles about petrol prices featuring. And then also the death of Olivia Newton-John was also a major talking point coming in as the fifth most prominent story. It's interesting on the Queen and being um, the top story. We knew it would be the top story. Yeah. Um, hearing the chatter from um, uh, people who work within um, media outlets in Australia who mm. we have a fair bit to do with, uh, you know, the ones that are trying to sell online subscriptions, yeah, yeah. Uh, they put a lot of effort into the Queen's coverage but could not sell subscriptions to it. And there's an easy reason why, because it's everywhere. It is everywhere. So, you know, you've got to cover those stories. That's <laughs> the dilemma for news outlets. So they put so much effort into something which they try to get people to pay to read it. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not going to because it's everywhere. So, yeah. you know, it's a bit of that dilemma that they do face. Um, now... The top 100 stories for the quarter, um, and there's a bit of a, a clear pattern to this for the last quarter, over 40% of the top stories were human interest stories or related yep. to animals. So, again, people stories work very well. They we know do. that. Sport also had a resurgence, mostly driven by the Premier League's transfer season uh, and several high-profile deals um, as that window ended. And, of course, deaths. The Queen, Livy Newton-John, as we mentioned, uh, Coolio. 15% um, of the stories were to do with uh, dead, famous people. So, um, And then <laughs> the top pages, um, more than two-thirds of the top pages were publishers. Yep. So we've omitted them to avoid duplication. But mm -hmm. the top five pages outside of those were all sports pages and all soccer pages. All soccer. So they're all in there. Soccer just rates so highly around the world. Yep. Politics was a close second in terms of top publishers. Um, interesting point about publishers is that influencers and meme accounts are going less well in terms of engagement. So memes and influencers are down compared to the past. And Jordan, the top post types for this quarter. Yeah, once again, photos was the most dominant post type. Image content is by far the most successful content on Facebook with around 55% of the top 10,000 posts being photos in one form or another. 
Video continues to perform well, making up 40% of that top 10,000 posts. It's had a noticeable underperformance compared to other quarters, though. And another notable change uh, is the underperformance of links. In the previous quarters, that generally, generally makes up 7 to 8% of the posts, but in Q3, just 2.5%. They're always interesting, those stats. Um, you know, they come out every quarter, but, you know, part of the challenge to negotiate this audience engagement as well as you can is to just get those trends going. And those quarterly stats are always really interesting. What's also interesting, of course, is Meta, the latest with Meta, Facebook, uh, we talk about metaverse, etc. Jordan, there's been, depending on who you are, depending, some big yeah. news this week. There's been some <laughs> big news. Yes. What's there happened? There has been. So three days ago, Meta held their Meta Connect event, which is an opportunity for Mark Zuckerberg to toot his horn, showcasing their progress and announce new products for the years ahead. The big announcement they, uh, they did here. was the, the Meta Quest Pro VR headset. But uh, unfortunately, that's not what publishers are talking about. Instead, the main event was legs. Legs. Yep. What's happening with legs? Yep, the avatars in the metaverse are finally getting legs. Oh, really? Currently, they're just from the waist up, so they're just sort of floating digital blobs, you know, with Float, faces and whatever. Floating half people. Yeah, pretty much. So why the hype about legs? Great question. I don't think the public are that hyped, I'll be honest with you. If anything, the internet is that sort of group of kids at school that are pointing and laughing while they whisper behind their hands. Um, but this massive tech company that's spending billions of dollars on insane technology has made all this fuss about digital characters getting legs. <laughs> and I think but most people don't understand why they're so hyped about it. And it's because they've created a new AI technology which makes the legs think for themselves. The issue that had with the avatars previously was that once their legs went underneath a table or anything, they were out of visibility. So then they were just, they had no idea what they're doing, the legs. No idea. Well, this is so a problem. Yes, yeah, so they just got real legs altogether. But they've created an AI technology now that allows the legs to operate and think on their own independently um, if they're out of view. It's great news. I'm uh, very relieved to hear. Now, what about the headset? How much does it cost? Uh, it is fifteen hundred US dollars. Yeah, so US. I saw a couple of remarks on social media that suggests that the the headset price is so high to recoup money from the R and D done for the legs, but that's unconfirmed. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty expensive, isn't it? So it is. Um, Look, is it, you know, all, all these announcements with uh, Meta and steps toward the Metaverse get big coverage because it's seen as such a game changer. I must say, that price for that headset, I find that very interesting. Look, you know, uh, one of uh, our boys uh, uses a headset at home, mm -hmm. which costs, you know, a few hundred bucks, um, was used with great fanfare to start with. Yep. But not enough of the mates have the headset, so it barely gets used these days. That's it. It's Xbox again because everyone's playing Xbox. And even yeah. though some <coughs> mates do have the headset, um, it wears off after a while in terms of its novelty. Mm -hmm. And it's not as good an experience as the um, old Xbox. So interested to see how it goes. But at 1500 US... Yeah, that's an accessibility yeah, issue. Yeah, there might be many tough. getting it. Now... Um, we're going to finish with the story about some ads in New South Wales to do with police. Jordan, what has happened here? Yeah, it's just a silly one to finish off. I came across it on Twitter the other day. I'm a Twitter user now, by the way. 
Um, <laughs> just is, thought I'd flag that. We could have done that as an item. I could have done that as an item, but you know you'd, wow. get it, you'd rip in on that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just play one That's from uh, the previous 48 episodes. You know what I'll say. Yes, yes. So a New South Wales police command has made news this week after one of their Facebook ads triggered a whole demographic on Facebook. The ad is trying to convince Year 12 school leavers to join the police force with an ad that reads, Year 12, we want you. Go here, fill in the forms, join us. We have pew-pews and drive wee-woos and do other cool stuff. Now, the pew-pews, obviously, are referring to the firearms and the wee-woos, <laughs> the car. Um, I'm being educated. Yes, yeah, so immediately, for at least for me, I could see where social media is going to find the opportunity to complain just irresistible. People went nuts on social media talking about how distasteful the joke was and the overall lack of respect for firearms. Older users in particular on social media made their anger known. Outraged? Yes, outraged. And we knew they were older because they felt the need to share their age. One comment read, Jesus, I'm in my 40s and the cringe here is overwhelming. As for the lack of respect shown for firearms, seriously? Pew pews? I feel ridiculous (laughs) saying this on a podcast. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Um, oh, well, well done to the uh, police because if their goal is to hit their desired market, they've done that um, and um, they get free publicity for it as well. They did. They, they get did. free publicity because it gets talked about and that's uh, worth a lot in terms of a campaign and there's a really easy way to get young people interested in something um, if they know that boomers, as they call anyone over 30, uh, if boomers hate it, that's a great thing for uh, oh, people absolutely. that age. So probably good job there, I'd reckon. I reckon. I tend to agree with you too. But, I mean, call me a little sensitive maybe, but I agree on the one small aspect of the commentary that was around the focus on firearms. I mean, there's a stack of ways to be edgy with your puns. That doesn't promote the use of guns as a perk to a job. But otherwise, the post is done exactly what it was supposed to do, I reckon. Um, Twitter for you, what's it been like? Not too bad. Not really? too bad. I'd say I've done it as a... Um, a semi-professional account trial basis at the moment. Are you tweeting? I'm not tweeting at the moment because although I've decided that my, my thoughts are my own, which is what everyone seems to write, yes, yes. Um, I'm mindful of what my first tweet will be because it sort of sets the tone, oh, doesn't so it? so you haven't done the first tweet. No, I've done, I've done the retweet and a, lie, a couple of likes. But okay. Very safe ones, very safe. Right, so this yeah. is the big thought about what the first yeah. tweet is. Yeah, perhaps in a couple of months' time I can uh, talk to you about my experience. Yeah, I'd be keen to know because when I first was on Twitter, I was editor of the Courier Mail. Mm. So, oh boy, I received some uh, free advice. Mm, colourful. Daily basis. Oh, I bet. Daily basis, I got free advice from people um, from both sides of politics, mm. Yeah, with uh, not holding back. So I'm fascinated as to how you go. And, um, yeah, how you go with that first tweet, 280 <laughs> characters of... Uh, Nerve-wracking. wisely. <laughs> yes. Well done. We'll, uh, we'll follow that. Uh, enjoy the weekend. You too.